0: Gentleness. Meekness is not weakness. Gentleness is not without power, it just chooses to defer to others. It forgives others, corrects with kindness, and lives in tranquility. Question. Do you come across to others as brash and headstrong? Or are you allowing the grace of God to flow through you to others? Join us today as Pastor Rex shares Part 8, Gentleness When You Are Hurting. While gentleness is a quality to which few people aspire, it is one of the most powerful qualities in helping us to represent Jesus well. Well, hello everyone and welcome to worship. Hey, let's imagine as we jump in today that you are in your favorite grocery store or vegetable and fruit stand and you're picking up some items. You're, in fact, you're, you're picking up some fruit. Now, I don't know if you're a kind of a fruit lover like I am, but I I regularly stop by a fruit stand and and buy some fruit. I like to buy them when I can from from local growers, local farms. I wonder what kind of fruit you typically pick up. Now, I I certainly have no uh, data or scientific evidence on this, but my guess, just from kind of watching the situation, is that a whole lot of bananas get picked up, uh, people are really high on apples in upstate New York. Yeah, especially this time of year, right? And for the next couple of months. And, and then there's uh, probably a lot of oranges that get bought, maybe some peaches, grapes, maybe uh, pretty popular in there, and, and things like strawberries in season, right? So there are these fruits that, that get a lot of attention and really are popular. But as a fruit lover, I've concluded from hanging out a lot in the fruit section of grocery stores and and fruit stands all around, I've concluded there are some fruits out there that don't get a lot of respect and that people really don't even think much about and they kind of get overlooked. In fact, just yesterday, Deb and I were at one of our favorite uh, fruit stands and um, I found some fresh fruit figs all right now I'm going to get a show of hands at our different locations today and I would uh, invite you to participate here I'm curious how many people we have who buy figs either dried figs or fresh figs if you buy figs every now and then could I see your hand okay now fig newtons don't count so put your hand down fig newtons no let's weed some people out here right off the bat Let me see your hands again if you occasionally buy figs. All right, cool. We have some fig lovers in our midst. All right, how many of you buy the fruit called dates? When you go out, can I see your hand? If you buy the fruit called dates, chopped dates, pitted dates, whole with pits in them, doesn't matter. If you buy, okay, we have a number of people who kind of apparently like dates. Now, here's one for you. How many of you, put your hand up high and proud if you like rhubarb. How many of you are rhubarb? Wow, we've got some people who are... Now, some of you are going, wait a minute, I thought rhubarb was a vegetable. That's cheating. That's not a fruit. Well, it's interesting. It, it, it is technically, if you ask a botanist, it's technically a vegetable, yes. But it is definitely used like a fruit, isn't it? You see it in pies all the time in jams and preserves and all kinds of things that typically have fruit. (laughs) And the interesting thing about rhubarb is while it's technically a vegetable, this will blow your mind, did a little research, just throwing this in for free, okay? (laughs) Did you know that it is legally a fruit? It really is. Sure enough, you can do the research yourself In 1947, a U.S. court in, of all places, Buffalo, New York, ruled that rhubarb is a fruit. Did you know that? Very, very, must have been a slow judicial year that year. (laughs) Just cleaning up some of the details of life. Rhubarb is a fruit. Did you know that? Okay, legally. Legally, it is a fruit. Technically, it's not. But legally, it is. But, you know, I just believe there are some of these fruits, the the figs, the dates, the rhubarb, that just don't get noticed a lot. They, They don't get a lot of respect. There might, what you might say are the forgotten fruits. And today, we come to a word in this list of the fruit of the Spirit that I believe is like the rhubarb of the fruit of the Spirit. It just doesn't get a lot of respect. It doesn't get a lot of notice. For you old Rodney Dangerfield fans, this would be the Rodney Dangerfield of the fruit world. It doesn't get a lot of respect. I mean, think about it with me. We'll pray for love. God, I need to be more loving. We love joy. We want a good dose of that. Peace, oh, bet man, I want my life to be filled with peace. And we go through that list and go, absolutely, I'll, I'll have some of that in my grocery bag and some of that and some of that. But we come to gentleness and we go, ah, it's just like rhubarb. Not, I mean, who does this really even belong on this list? I mean, who really wants the fruit called Gentleness. Think about it. You don't, you don't put the quality of gentleness on your resume. No employer wants to buy. Uh, wants to hire someone who, who says, I'm a gentle person. We want qualities like motivated, ambitious, driven. That's what we're looking for. That's the employee we want. But not gentle. Right? Or take Politicians, would you vote for a gentle politician? I mean, really? No, we think, well, they can't, they can't cut it. They can't, they, they're not tenacious enough. We don't want gentle politicians. They won't get many votes. Speaking of politicians, the following obituary, this literally happened, it literally appeared, in a newspaper in Virginia, and I quote, this was in the obituary column on Sunday morning. Faced with the prospect of voting either for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, Mary Ann Nolan of Richmond chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God on Sunday, May fifteenth, two 2016 at the age of 68. Now I understand her discouragement, okay? But, yeah, we, we don't want gentle politicians or think about athletics many of you are watching the olympic games right now some of you probably spending a number of hours each week or each day watching the olympics i mean can you think of a gentle rugby player we don't give out awards for gentleness to athletes at the end of the year or what about an attorney do you want a gentle attorney Someone advertises, I'm the gentle attorney in the capital district. You don't want that person. You want someone who is relentless and thorough. You don't want a gentle kitty. You want the tiger on your team, man. You want someone, an attorney, who will do what it takes to get that case won for you. So, gentleness just tends to be something we don't even really desire that much. In fact, I... I was amazed to see this. George Barna, the famous Christian demographer, statistician, does all kinds of surveys of the American people. He listed, and he only surveyed Christians in this survey. Only Christians could be a part of this. You had to have a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. He listed 30 characteristics from the Bible that are ascribed to Christians. Some things we ought to have. Or to, to, you know, have some sort of desire for. It included the nine on the list in Galatians 5, 22-23. But also 21 other characteristics or qualities that are desired. And they were asked to rank them, 1 to 30. You know what came dead last, 30 out of 30? You guessed it. Gentleness was at the very bottom of the list. So why is that? Why is this one of these qualities that appears in this awesome list, but we're just not even sure we want it. Well, I think here's how we think. We think, come on, a gentle person is not going to have what it takes to kind of climb the ladder of success. A gentle person is a person who's going to get walked all over in romantic relationships, going to get taken advantage of. That's why we're not sure we even want this. Imagine a gentle driver around the parking lot of the mall. They're not going to get a good parking space, I'll tell you right now. You want an aggressive driver, one who's bold. You don't want you, you don't want a, a gentle driver. If you look it up in the in the thesaurus, you're going to get words popping up like mild, docile, soft, tender. Like ah. I'm just not so sure I want that. In fact, I'll be honest, I even said to Debbie this week, and I'm not even sure I want to preach about this, but uh, I guess I have to go preach about gentleness. Do we really want this quality? And yet, in spite of the way that we as Americans tend to think about gentleness, even as Christians, it's the last on the list of 30 Scripture consistently over and over again says this is a quality Christians ought to have. What do we make of that? God says, I want to develop gentleness in your life. The Greek word for gentleness is the word protis. It is translated gentleness. Also can be translated meekness. It can be translated humble of heart. That's the basic idea here. And I think the reason we don't we're not really sure we want this fruit is because we don't understand what the word really means. It's just not that attractive because we don't get it. Gentleness, protus, as the Bible describes it, it uses the word picture of a powerful thousand pound plus stallion, rippling muscles, explosive energy and speed. But in the trainer's hand, this magnificent stallion is totally under control. Gentleness, as the Bible defines it, is power and strength that is under control to benefit someone else. Now ah, when we get that perspective, oh, you, it doesn't mean weakness," you say. No, no. It has nothing to do with weakness. Gentleness means power that has been harnessed, that has been polished, that has been trained by the master. And when we begin to get that perspective on it, we go, wow, I, yeah. I think I will put that in my basket at the store. I, I think I will take some of that. Maybe it's not the rhubarb of the fruit of the spirit after all. But before we get into what God actually wants to do in our lives regarding gentleness, I think it's only fair that I say to you what it is not, what protis or gentleness is not, or what the opposite of it is. In fact, in this same list in Galatians 5, where we get the fruit of the Spirit, there's also another list called the acts of the sinful nature. And if you read that list carefully, You'll find in verse 20 that it uses a phrase and it's translated fits of rage. It's talking about a person whose strength is not under control. It's out of control and it ends up raging out in both words often and actions. Fits of rage or outburst of anger. That is the opposite of what we're talking about today. Now let me ask you. Do you have any people in your life characterized by that? Maybe it shows up with hypersensitivity. A wife says to a husband, hey, I, I could use some help vacuuming." And he explodes and goes, what's that supposed to mean? I vacuum just as much as you do. That's the opposite of gentleness. That's an outburst of anger. That's a, a fit almost of, of rage. Or you've got a coworker that is a bit like a volcano. Everybody kind of circles around the volcano, walking very carefully. They see the smoke coming out. They spit, spit a little bit of lava fire every now and then. But boy, they don't want this thing to explode because they've seen it before. Maybe you grew up in a home like that. Things could be going just fine, just normal, just calm. And suddenly, mom... Is screaming, suddenly dad is shouting. And there's all this anger and sarcastic words and criticism and vitriol going back and forth. And maybe you grew up in a home like that and you know what that's like. I want to tell you that is the opposite of what we're talking about today. So let me ask you again. Do you have anybody in your life like that? Or maybe even more relevant, do you see the need for protists? Do you see the need for this fruit of gentleness in your own life? And if your answer to that is no, if you would honestly answer no to that, no, I don't really need that. Uh, My guess is that I could find some family or friends that would say, yeah, you really do. You, you, you just got a blind spot there. You really could use some of this. You need to put it in your grocery basket, even though you think it's the rhubarb of the fruit of the Spirit. You could use some of this. So what does God really want to do in us? People who just don't sometimes see the value of this or, or think maybe we don't need it. What is God actually looking to do in your life and mine as we walk in step with the Spirit? As, we, as we're calling this series, as we grow up in Christ, as we move, as we like to say at Grace Fellowship, as we move into deeper levels of maturity, what does God actually want to do? I quickly, in the minutes we have left, I want to walk you through three things that the Spirit will do in us and for us and through us as we learn progressively to walk in step with the Spirit. Now, the first one is going to seem very ob- obvious and simple, but I want to make the statement anyway, and I hope it'll become clear why I'm stating the obvious. Number one, the Holy Spirit will begin to grow gentleness. In your life. Now, here's why I say this because it's right here that we get into some misunderstanding. Most people with whom I've spoken tend to think of gentleness as a personality trait, they think of it as associated with their DNA. You either have it or you don't. And they go, now, yeah, there are a few people that have these phlegmatic personalities, and they may have gentleness, but not me. I'm a sanguine, or I'm a choleric personality. It's just the way I am. And besides, if you saw the family I grew up in, oh, you'd understand why I've got these fits of rage. See, I had all this modeled for me. I never had anybody be gentle to me. so, So you need to understand, that's just who I am. So people need to get over it, right? I've heard this many times from folks in the church. Folks just need to get over it. It's just the way I am. So this whole idea of strength under control, it's just not on the menu for me. Thank you very much. No rhubarb, please, for me. Well, I want to throw a phrase up on the, or a sentence up on the screen here, and I I hope you'll look at it and and I hope you'll note it and never forget it. Here's why I want to say to you if that's honestly kind of where you're coming from, you can use your de- genetics or your nature, kind of how you're hardwired, as an explanation for a certain struggle, but you cannot use it as an excuse to sin. By the way, that's true, folks, of many things. We have a saying in our family, Deb and I use it all the time. Our kids have grown to use this phrase. An explanation is not an excuse. We say that all the time. And I hope we all understand that. An explanation is not an excuse. You may be able to explain why you have certain tendencies, propensities, certain traits or patterns, but that's not an excuse. An explanation is not an excuse to sin ever. You could never as a Jesus follower play that card. I just want to make that clear. You can never, ever, as a Jesus follower, play the card and say, no, it's just how I'm hardwired, therefore I've got an excuse here to sin and live any way I want to. You can never do that as a Jesus follower. An explanation is very, very different from an excuse. So let's be really candid and blunt before we move on quickly to the next key point for some of you we're just being honest right it is honestly more of your nature to respond with sarcasm than sweetness it really is more of your natural person outside of christ it's much more natural for you to respond with criticism than with compassion to someone it really is It's much more natural for some of you to respond with this harshness than it is to respond with tenderness. But if you're a Jesus follower, you're supposed to be moving into deeper and deeper levels of Christlikeness. And some of us, I'm a little concerned Because I think that I've talked to one too many people who've just copped the attitude, well, look, my sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. Get off my back. Hey, I've accepted Jesus. I prayed the prayer. (laughs) What what do you want from me? I am who I am. Well, Jesus wants from you likeness. That's what he wants. And he said he's going to finish what he started in you. The good work he started, Philippians 1.6, he's going to carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And according to Colossians 1.28, Paul said our goal is to present every person perfect, the word means completed, the way God designed you to be, in Christ. And so that's the reason an explanation is never an excuse. Yeah, it may be natural for you, but you need to learn a new language, a new way to respond. I don't know. uh, Let me do a survey. How many of you, raise your hand. Don't be ashamed to say this. I've actually not watched the show, but I've seen a number of clips from it. And I've actually seen a, a few interviews of some of the people who have danced on Dancing with the Stars, a very, very popular show in our culture on TV. It's been on for years now. How many of you have seen that show at least once? Could I see your hand, please? Thank you. Yeah. M- most of you, it seems, have seen that show. Well, I, again, I'm sorry. You, you probably know this better than me. But my understanding of the premise of the way this show works is that you've got these really good dancers, what you might call professionals, who are just fabulous And they're coupled, they're paired up with some celebrity. It might be an athletic celebrity. It might be a TV personality. Just someone who's well known in our culture, right? And usually the celebrity comes in having hardly ever danced or knowing very little about dancing, right? So that kind of makes it interesting. And here's the thing. Here's my point. Over and over again after the experience... When they've asked these celebrities, how was this thing for you? How was it to spend six, eight hours a day just working relentlessly on the same dance, getting ready for this performance? How was that like for you? And over and over again, they will use the same kind of words. Oh, it was agonizing. It was so awkward. I mean, I felt so clumsy. I was tripping all over myself. I was embarrassed that I wasn't making more progress. But, boy, this was just all new to me. But, again, over and over in the interviews, they'll say, but after I kept at it, and when I continued to be intentional, and I continued to try to yield myself to this pattern, this dance that I'd been called to, you know what? Muscle memory began to kick in, and I even amazed myself what I was able to do. And how I was able to function in this dance after a while. You know what I would say to you? That's a pretty good analogy of what the Christian life is like. For many of us, walking in step with the Spirit and demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit is not natural. In fact, at first... It feels so awkward. It feels more natural to blast people, baby, and put them in their place. That feels more natural. But God's called us to learn a new dance. He doesn't want us to be characterized by the acts of the sinful nature anymore. He's called us to be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Even if you think it's rhubarb. He's called us to live a counterculture life, to crucify the old person and to come alive to this new person he's created us to be. So when we keep in step with the Spirit, He will grow gentleness in our lives. Here's the second thing, very quickly. The Holy Spirit will begin to c- control the words we speak. Now when you really think about it, most of the anger, the frustration, the aggravation that we feel, the things that are opposite to gentleness, how do they typically come out first at most for most people? It's in the words we speak. These things that are the opposite of gentleness usually show up first in our words. They show up through yelling and sarcasm and criticism, through the words we speak. Now, here's what's so interesting. If you do a quick word study... Of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, and how the filling of the Holy Spirit begins to affect the way people live and act. Here's what will show up right away it'll be crystal clear that one of the big ways the Spirit impacts us is in, get this, the way we speak. The way we speak. Let me just show you a few verses as quick examples. Acts 2.4, you can see it on the screen. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now think of that. In this particular case, (coughs) they're speaking in languages that are known in the world, but the people that are speaking them have never studied them or learned them before. So in other words, God was giving them... for that time and purpose, a whole new language. Now, some of you, the language of kindness and encouragement, the language of gentleness is just foreign to you. It's not the language you've learned. The reason you've never learned the language is because most likely you were not taught the language growing up. And in fact, you saw just the opposite modeled. But the Bible Would teach you and me to surrender our will daily, even moment by moment, to the control of the Spirit. And as he fills us, guess what? He's going to begin to give us new language. Acts 4.8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. And then it goes on to describe in the following verses this bold declaration that he makes. Acts 4.25. Peter says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then it quotes something that God inspired King David to write. Or how about this one? This is one of my favorite verses that shows the impact of the Spirit's filling in our lives on the way we talk. Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. We could go on and on. These are just a few of the references that connect being filled with the Holy Spirit to the way we speak to one another. In fact, James in his little letter in the New Testament just just puts it on the line for all of us in chapter 1 where he says, If anyone considers himself religious, that means a really true follower of Jesus, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Wow. That's pretty strong, don't you think? So, here's what this means just practically. As we grow in deeper, deeper levels with God, as we move closer and closer to a Christ-centered life, and begin to grow up in Christ, Guess what? It's going to affect the way we talk to that operator on the phone. It's going to affect the way we talk to our spouse at home. It's going to affect the way that we speak to our children when they frustrated us. It's going to affect our words on the basketball court or in the boardroom or out on the Northway or in the parking lot of the church, baby it's going to impact the way we talk. But I want to mention one other way before we quickly move on to our final key point. I believe one of the major ways that God wants to impact us in this day and age, especially right here in this increasingly hostile culture, when I say that, I mean it's hostile to Christian values and And again, uh, if you're not aware of that, I I mean, I don't know, maybe you're you're living, I don't know, in a cave somewhere or under a rock, but it truly is increasingly alien to the values that we cherish. And yet, I see Christians responding in less than spectacular ways. I, I see Christians indicating that they don't think they need any rhubarb any gentleness. In fact, uh, what I see uh, on, on video clips, what I see on the internet, what I see on, uh, the, uh, here on the radio and see on TV is often when Christians are responding to what feels like this, this alien culture and these, these attacks, they feel they're getting challenged. What I see is sarcasm, bitterness, What I see them doing is coming back with explosive anger and fits of rage as if that's going to somehow win people to Jesus. Can I, can I just remind you of what, I, I, I know you already know it, but, but in one of the classic passages where we're challenged to be able to give a defense for our faith, to be good apologists it's found in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 uh, it says, but, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that you have. And then it tells us how we're supposed to do that. It says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Did you know that? Even when we're talking to people who vehemently disagree with us, we're to be showing gentleness and a respectful attitude to them as people. And it's amazing to me as I followed the stories of how God drew people to himself and led them to a real relationship with Christ, it's amazing how many times somewhere in that story, maybe more than once, there's an encounter with a Christian who returned good for evil, who returned gentleness even when they were being retreated harshly And the unbeliever just couldn't get over that. They just couldn't get over how this person who was being so demeaned, so put down, just kept coming back with gentleness and respect. I've heard that over and over and over again. And God used that. God used that rhubarb of the spirit to win and soften that person's heart. I love what Philippians 4, 5 says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And so before we tackle this final point, let me just ask you again, dear brother and sister in Christ, could that be said of you? Could Philippians 4, verse 5 be said of you, is your gentleness evident to all? Wow, what a challenge. Maybe this shouldn't be 30 on the list of 30 after all. Maybe gentleness is a bigger deal than we ever thought. And yet it's the overlooked, disrespected fruit of the Spirit. There's one final thing I would say. The Holy Spirit will begin to give you the eyes of Christ for other people. Now here's what I know about Jesus as I read the Gospels he really demonstrated gentleness par excellence. He lived gentleness out. Think about just two or three examples of that. Once there were, he was teaching and there was a bunch of children around and it was just kind of getting loud and chaotic and frustrating. You know what I'm saying? And uh, uh, the disciples assessing this tried to shoo the children away and get them out of there. But Jesus said, no, 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 please, please. Let the little children come to me. And little children loved Jesus, not because he was a harsh ogre. Oh, no. They loved him because he was gentle and fun to be around. Power under control. Or think about another example where Jesus showed amazing gentleness. These Pharisees and religious leaders had caught a woman in the act of adultery, sleeping with someone who was not her husband. uh, And they bring her and gruffly and roughly throw her down on the ground in front of Jesus. And they say to Jesus, with sarcasm, with a critical tone, hey Jesus, the law tells us we ought to stone this woman that we caught in adultery. What do you say? And again, Jesus just, shoes these leaders away and the way I envision it is that he probably knelt down beside this hurting woman and that's when we need gentleness the most when we're hurting and when people around us are hurting he knelt down beside her he probably lifted her chin up and for the first time uh, as her eyes looked into his she saw for the first time that day eyes that were not condemning He said, dear woman, where are your accusers? He said, neither do I condemn you. And gently, I believe, he said, go now, go now and leave your life of sin. Or Zacchaeus. (laughs) Jesus is walking along, there's a crowd, he sees a guy up a tree and he was up there because he was short, but also because nobody liked him. They wouldn't let him to the front of the crowd. And Jesus, I believe, with eyes of gentleness, looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. Come on down, Zac. Come on down, man. I'm going to have lunch today at your house. Now, here's my final word to you as we close. Where do you need gentleness day by day? Here's my challenge. Here's my takeaway. Here's my action plan for you. I want to give you one action plan in this sermon, and that is to pray that the Holy Spirit will fill you with gentleness and give you the eyes of Jesus for the people in your life. That's the action plan. That's the takeaway from this message. Pray that God will fill you with gentleness and give the eyes of Jesus for other people. When you've got to have that difficult discussion with that underachieving employee, just pray, God, would you fill me and give me your eyes for this person? When you're going to have lunch (laughs) with that absolutely aggravating relative of yours, God, would you you just fill me with your spirit and give me your eyes? Help me to see Cousin Eddie here through your eyes today. Or when you're driving home and and you enter a house with some kids that are way too tired and got a bunch of homework to do and a spouse who's just had one of those days, would you just pray this week, Lord, would you fill me? Fill me with your spirit and give me your eyes For these people that I treasure and cherish the most here in this home. (laughs) When you see the neighbor across the street. And their sole purpose in life. It seems their whole existence is to enforce HOA regulations. And you see it. They're coming across the street to talk to you. Would you pray this week, God, would you just fill me with your spirit and give me your eyes and help me to see this person through your eyes? Here's what you're going to discover. You're going to discover that some of the very people that frustrate you most, you're actually going to start feeling compassion for because you prayed, God, fill me and help me to see them through your eyes. Some of the very people that aggravate you the most you're going to start responding to them with gentleness. That's God building the fruit of gentleness in your life. Father, I thank you that while there are some fruit on this list, some fruits that are undervalued and disrespected, like gentleness, it's one of the most important ones of all in dealing with other people. So help us, sisters and brothers in Christ, to be power under control. May we be like that stallion, (laughs) spiritually speaking, rippling muscles, explosive speed, endurance and power, but under your control. Oh, wow, what a finely tuned person. Help us to represent you so well that people as they see our gentleness and as it is evident to all that they would be more drawn to Jesus than ever. And we pray all of this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.